This past week, the hosting service we use for this podcast was hit with a distributed denial of service attack, and it has us asking questions about what a similar attack would mean for your business. This is the Cyber 24 Podcast presented by Valcom. Welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly podcast dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. We also look at interesting cybersecurity stories in the news and help make sense of them and see what lessons you can take from the cybersecurity incidents experienced by other organizations. My name is Marty Carpenter. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and general problem solving. I'm joined today by our panel of cybersecurity experts, Dan Skyler from Valcom and Paul Whittier from AdLumen. Dan, how you doing? Good, Marty. Thank you. Great to be on the show again. Yeah. Paul, how about you? How are you? Doing good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you guys both here. You know, our topic uh, this week, distributed denial of service attacks. And I know this is something we've probably talked about uh, to some extent on the show before, but uh, last weekend, or I guess it was almost two weekends ago now, I got an email from the company that hosts this podcast, as a matter of fact, uh, informing me and the other podcasters, I presume, I, I didn't anticipate that it was an email just to me. So informing all their podcasters uh, that the host had been a target of a distributed denial of service attack. And I got to kind of watch uh, from my perspective, really interesting how they reacted to it from a communication perspective and how often they were communicating with me and what they were letting me know, uh, what how they were letting me know what they were up to and things along those lines. Um, so I, I found that part pretty interesting, but just to see a business um, be crippled uh, for a, a certain period of time by something like this, I thought this is something we should talk to our audience of business leaders and elected officials about so that they can better understand it as well. So the email outlined steps they were taking to resolve the issue and what it meant for our podcast, uh, when it was going to be accessible again. Uh, but I thought we'd just kind of walk through a little bit of what distributed denial of service attacks are. And uh, I guess that's probably a really good place to start. So uh, not to th th this always feels like the first question is always a definition question. And so it's like calling on someone to answer the pop quiz. But I feel like you're both really prepared. So uh, maybe, Paul, let's start with you this week. What is a direct... Uh, I'm sorry, direct, what, what is a DDoS? That's, that's the term that we're probably going to use for it most of the time. What's a DDoS? It is a flood of internet traffic to a host that basically brings it down because there's too much traffic. It's just like if you had a water hose and you know your PSI was 100 and I gave you uh, a thousand PSI, your hoses are going to either break or uh, you know something weird's going to happen, right? Same thing with the internet. When you just flood a server with too much traffic, it, it becomes inoperable. And what they're flooding you with isn't necessarily anything in useful, like what, what kind of things does it take to flood to, to overwhelm that PSI in the hose, so to speak? Just flood it with packets, right? Just flood it with request, flood it with data, flood it with anything that brings it down to its knees. And the more you flood it, the, you know, the more you flood it, the, the more effective it is at stopping it, you know, and then, you know, if there's a hose going in and a, you know, a thousand PSI when you're pipes only a hundred, then nothing can get out either. So you basically isolate the host so that it becomes unusable. Like I'm assuming your podcast became unreachable. 
Yeah, I you know I had thousands and thousands of people reaching out to me to say I it's it's <laughs> eleven o'clock at night on a on a Sunday and I can't listen to Cyber Twenty Four. What the heck is going on? I'm sure on? it was devastating. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, I guess um, th- that makes perfect sense to me. I guess that uh, you are sending a lot of requests at a server. Um, and, and servers then, Dan, they don't have a way to kind of sort through that. They just get overwhelmed. It's just like, uh, I, 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 the image that keeps popping to my head is like a grocery store clerk that suddenly has, you know, too many people in line rushing up to try to check out their products all at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly right. It all depends on the bandwidth coming into your organization and the type of uh, DDoS protection you have internally. Many firewalls have some type of DDoS protection where they can, automatically blacklist those IP addresses. And it, all de- it also depends on the severity of the DDoS attack. These botnets that initiate these attacks, if it's a, a couple hundred uh, and you have a lot of bandwidth and you've got good protection, then you can mitigate that. But if it's a botnet of, of thousands of botnets that are flooding your network, then that becomes a more daunting challenge. And that's when you need DDoS protection to help mitigate those attacks. What, uh, how common are DDoS attacks? I mean, is this something that happens that, that uh, you know, if, if a company didn't have the right protections in place that maybe is handling some of this before it really becomes a problem, would most businesses be surprised at how often they could be a target of something like this? Or is it relatively hit and miss, kind of rare? What's the frequency? Uh, Paul, we'll go to you. They're fairly frequent and most of them, you know, the majority of them would be classified as small. So if you think of what Dan's describing, you know, most firewalls, um, you know, they have some sort of what they'd call a flood protection, right? And and think of it as like their own denial of service, <laughs> right? You start flooding them with, with requests and then the firewall just says, no, I'm not letting you in. Uh, I know who you are, but there is a limit to what the firewall can do, right? Like Dan said, uh, you think of the largest denial of service attack uh, was uh, directed towards Amazon. None of us have a network the size of AWS, but when you start sustaining over two uh, terabytes per second, which is what the largest, de- den- uh, you, you, I don't know what kind of system you'd have to have to be able to actually prevent shutting down the system. Dan, anything to add there? No, Paul. Paul's exactly right. It, again, it goes back to how severe the DDoS attack is. And one, of the, one thing these hackers are doing is they're compromising IoT devices to create this botnet. So they're looking for vulnerable IoT devices across the entire spectrum. They're installing their, um, they're installing their executable to launch this DDoS attack against a specific target but to Paul's point, most of these are, are small and they're usually either malicious attacks. Uh, they're, they're targeted against companies that somebody has a grudge against or they want to bring them down or they're done, um, or they're done by, you know, a, somebody who just wants to fool around and, and, and uh, is trying to be malicious for another reason. Uh, well, that's one of the things I found interesting because that's sort of been my understanding of it is it's always just someone, hey, I've got a grudge against you and I'm going to go make your life miserable for a bit. Uh, the the communication from the company in this case seemed to indicate that uh, it was used as a, a form of ransomware, that essentially someone had launched the attack and said, in order for us to stop doing this, 
you're going to have to pay us and then we'll call off the hounds. Um, is that, I mean, is that something that that's a little bit new of a trend when it comes to DDoS attacks or is that something that's been utilized by hackers before? No, it's definitely been used. And, you know, Dan mentioned IOT devices, but it could be your grandma's computer that got infected when she went to Facebook and downloaded that cool app, you know, cause they're looking for an army of, machine power it could be out it could be your light bulb uh, you know that they want to try to attack to use for a denial of service what they're looking for is an army of machines that they can basically harness to be able to launch an attack and once they have the power to launch an attack they can use as many machines as they want or need to be able to bring you down and sure they could definitely put a ransom on releasing that you know denial of service attack Time to take a break, but first a reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. At Valcom, they know IT departments are overwhelmed with too many technologies to manage, too many alerts to weed through, and have too little staff to do it all. To help lighten the load while eliminating blind spots, Valcom highly recommends adopting Aruba ClearPass into your environment. From IoT to an always-on mobile workforce, especially now, organizations are more exposed to attacks than ever before. With Aruba ClearPass, you can get agentless visibility and dynamic role-based control for seamless security enforcement and response across your wired and wireless networks. How's that for making things easier? As a Platinum Aruba partner holding the Aruba ClearPass specialization, Valcom has the highest certified engineers to design, implement, and test your ClearPass environment. Learn more or request a free consultation by visiting vlcm.com slash clearpass. That's vlcm.com slash clearpass. Don't you wish your kid's soccer team could have 12 goalies instead of one? Blocking malware, exploits, and ransomware is just like blocking a soccer ball. Sophos's Intercept X employs a comprehensive defense in-depth approach to endpoint protection rather than simply relying on one primary security technique. It's 12 goalies instead of one. Ranked number one in malware protection, exploit protection, security effectiveness, and total cost of ownership, Valcom and InterceptX will protect your most vital information. So get some more goalies. Visit vlcmtech.com slash intercept dash x. That's vlcmtech.com slash intercept dash x. All right, welcome back. We continue our discussion with Dan Schuyler from Valcom and Paul Whittier from AdLumen talking about DDoS attacks. And uh, for those of you who, I always get this one messed up in my head. I always want to say it's something besides distributed, but distributed denial of service. And so, you know, somehow it got into my head the wrong way and I'll always mess it up forever and ever. So I'll just go with a nice DDoS attack and keep it simple because that part, at least I can remember. So if your company is like our podcast host was just a little bit over a week ago, uh, hit with a DDoS attack, well, how do you go about resolving it? How do you, is there one set uh, standard procedure that you work through to try to resolve it? Uh, or can it get super complex and it's a dynamic situation? How do you go about resolving a DDoS attack? And, and Dan, let's start with you. 
Well, so the first thing you can do is you can look at your DDoS protection in your firewall and look at your sync floods and uh, other settings that are in your firewall to help mitigate that attack. But as we mentioned, most of these attacks are gonna be fairly severe. And if you don't have the bandwidth to absorb them, um, then what you can do is contact your ISP and let them know that you're under a DDoS attack. And usually they will have the ability to block those IP addresses because we're talking about not tens or 20 IP addresses. We're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of IP addresses that are hitting your network. And you, your little firewall probably doesn't have the horsepower to block all those IP addresses. So you can contact your ISP. Um, another thing you can do if, and this is an enterprise solution, is you can um, utilize a DDoS uh, attack prevention vendor. And really in a nutshell, what they're doing is they are ingressing all of your traffic and blocking all of that traffic because they have the pipe, the bandwidth, if you will, to absorb those DDoS attacks and only allow the legitimate traffic to hit your network. So they're absorbing the attack for you and then sending the legitimate traffic to your network. So those are those are two options, three options that you have. And again, it all depends on the severity of the attack, the type of firewall you have, the bandwidth, you, the bandwidth that you've got, which will help to, de <clears throat> to determine which um, approach or method you take to stop those DDoS attacks. Going back to Paul's analogy earlier, then you go find your friend who has a bigger hose. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great analogy. Right? That's yeah. a great analogy. Yep. So, uh, Paul, anything you want to add there on how to resolve a DDoS attack? No, I mean, that's pretty much it. The far, You start with the firewall. You could use, you know, a company like Cloudflare. There's others. Anybody who's doing web application firewalling, you know, from a sophisticated level. And then really it's rerouting from an ISP level. And, you know, they're the ones that control massive amounts of bandwidth and may be able to shut. But when you start talking distributed, that's what it means. Like it's coming from many different sources. It becomes very difficult to stop a massive denial of service attack. Now, the other thing that they'll use those for is to, you know, like I was just saying an example, there are other types of denial services that are kind of important too. Like we, I could flood your firewall with 100 meg packets. If I'm set to 100 megs to, 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 to do scanning or and below, I could potentially send malicious traffic into your network by doing large floods of traffic. So depending on what your firewall is set to, you know, maybe they're looking to get into and launch another type of attack into the network. And we don't, we don't want to scare the pants off of, <laughs> of companies out there. So let's just, let's just uh, caveat this. So that most organizations don't have to worry about a significant DDoS attack. There are solutions out there that we mentioned to mitigate those. Uh, as Paul mentioned, there have been some very significant attacks against companies like Amazon. Those are very sophisticated attacks using very sophisticated techniques. Um, but most organizations don't ever have to worry about that type of an attack. It's hard to prepare, just like, you know, we saw with the state of Texas getting frozen, you know, they weren't prepared. You know, they didn't have the things necessary to be able to handle, even their pipes froze, things like that. But, you know, I talked to a couple of partners down in Texas and they're like, there's no groceries on the shelf. There's nothing there. It, it's it's hard to prepare for something, you know, when something that has never hit you before. But um, I think everybody should be looking at the minimal and, and making sure that your firewall is set to, you know, to be able to, to be able to throw off those attacks, a massive attack. The reality is you're, 
you, you may not be able to protect fully protect yourself. Even Amazon had a hard time with a sustained, what they call a sustained denial of service. But uh, I would, I would definitely start with the firewall. I would also look at your, what, what's coming in through the firewall and make sure that your scanning abilities and not just set to scan and bypass when it gets over flooded, you may just want to, you know, deny at that point, you know, there's always a risk that you might miss something important though, you know, so you always have to make those security choices. And it could be as simple as a call to your ISP saying, Hey, do I have DDoS protection as part of my account? And if I do, could I enable that? Because that may not be enabled by default and a simple call to your ISP saying, Hey, I want to turn this on. I want to be proactive. They flip a switch and now you've got an extra layer of protection. So at the very minimum, call your ISP, discuss what uh, technologies they have to prevent a DDoS attack. And many, many of them already have that built into their system. And again, it's just a flip of the switch. And depending on the ISP, it may or may not cost you anything to have that protection in place. Yeah, this is why a lot of companies host websites outside of their own environment too, because if they do get a denial of service, they want someone like an Amazon or an Azure or a GCP to be able to take on that load versus like their server sitting in their own on-prem environment. This is another great reason why you'd want to host everything in, in, a, in a cloud environment. It's, it's, it, it's much harder to bring down those guys in, in a little network, you know, here in Salt Lake. Yeah. I, I mentioned that uh, in this case, the DDoS attack or the DDoS attack was uh, used as a type of ransomware against our podcast hosting company. Um, but if you think about ransomware in sort of the traditional way or the way we talk about it for the most part, maybe not as a DDoS attack, take the DDoS element out of, of any of the, the broad spectrum of ransomware, that if you're going to get hit with something that could be considered ransomware, where someone's going to try to get money from you to uh, either give you your data back or leave you alone, this seems like one that's easier to manage than being hit with ransomware that that encrypts all of your files and demands payment to get the key to open them back up is uh, I, you know i'm sort of asking like which is the worst way to die right <laughs> should i get shot or stabbed here but like this seems like a better one to get hit with than having everything encrypted or am i not thinking about that logically oh absolutely if i had my choice between uh full data encryption and a ddos attack i, I would take the latter for sure <laughs> Unless you're like the, you know, the, the bank, right? And you can't operate any business or something, you know, or an airline and they bring you down, you know, it, it could be very devastating to be down. So each business has its own threshold for each. But yeah, I think ransomware, <laughs> pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. Any type of data loss, you know, at least with, ran with denial of service, they're not stealing your data. Uh, yeah. Typically. Uh, well, we've got just a few minutes left on this week's episode, guys, and I want to take a minute to uh, check in to find out what's cool this week. And we didn't talk about this before we started recording, so I'm looking for looks of confidence and or panic from our panelists to see whether or not I need to go first uh, with something that uh, that is cool this week. And Paul, you're looking pretty confident, so <laughs> I'll, I'll come to you first, and that'll buy some time for Dan maybe, and then I can uh, wrap this up. So Paul, I'll ask you, what's cool this week? You know, mine might be a little bit different, but maybe it's a daddy a daddy moment. But uh, two days ago, my daughter, I guess the day before, she spent time writing 13 notes. And then she kind of sticky noted them all up in the morning. So when we woke up, 
we walked around the house and there was like, like, uh, you know, have a wonderful day. I love you. And I, you know, she's an 11 year old girl and it's just like, that's, that's a great, I don't remember. I have three boys too. I just don't remember the boys doing that stuff. <laughs> so I got three boys and then a daughter, but I'll tell you what, the sweetness that, you know, the little girls can have and, and writing those little notes all over and totally unprompt, right? She did it all on her own. Just really cool dad moment. Yeah. Being a girl dad, that's what's cool this week. And that's what's cool yeah. every week. And I know people will try to scare you when they're teenagers. Mine's 16. And I got to tell you, they're still the best. So uh, I, I'm totally with you on on that one. So, all right. I don't think you can get, uh, I think you can outsweet that one, Dan, but I will ask you what's, <laughs> <laughs> not that it's a competition, but I will ask you what's cool this week. Nope. Can't outsweet, can't outsweet Paul on that one. But this is technology related tangentially, but I've been using uh, a pair of um, reading glasses that have blue light blocking and they're made out of pure glass. And I've, I've had those for about six months and I love them because the clarity was great. The, the blue blocking um, took the strain off my eyes and I lost them. I left them in a restaurant and I'm wearing just a regular pair of, of reading glasses now. And I, I feel like I've gone back in time. So basically what I'm trying to say is if you are in front of the computer a lot, whether you need reading glasses or not, I cannot stress how important it is to have a good pair of glasses uh, to block the blue light out and protect your eyes, especially um, if you're nearsighted, is that right? Um, and you need reading glasses. You, you've got to get the blue light blockers made out of glass. You want glasses for your optics because the, the clarity is much better than plastic. That's my recommendation. Tangentially related to technology, but that's what's cool um, this week for me. Very cool. I, I will uh, give an amen to the blue light glasses. Mine are not probably as fancy as yours because they're not actual reading glasses. They're just blue light blockers and I, you can, you guys can see and you'll, everyone at home will have to trust me, but they give off an awful glare in the camera. Like, I don't think anyone can see my eyes. That is advantageous sometimes in zoom meetings. Cause you can just close your eyes or look away <laughs> and actually see your eyes. I've been paying attention the entire time here. I'll, I'll assure you that much. Give away my secret. That's right. But, but that's, so that's not necessarily a bad thing to have the glare, but they do cut down on the uh, eye strain and the headaches that can come from looking at a screen all day. So I'm a big fan. And mine were like, 20 bucks. They're plastic and they creak when I open and close them, but who cares? They're just to use here at the home office. So I'm, I'm with you hundred percent there. Uh, mine has very little to do with technology as far as what's cool this week. Um, today is March 2nd, uh, which means we are like three days away from closing Utah's annual 45 day legislative session. Uh, I do some work up on the Hill for a number of clients, including the house of representatives. And, uh, I, so I, what I would say is this, uh, to try to coordinate the agendas, interests, um, and desires, wants, and complaints of 104 legislators in two different bodies and find a way to come up with uh, a way where most everyone can be happy to spend $21 billion on the right programs and to take care of all the needs that go into a state. And then to do that during a pandemic where here's the technology element where we've had to uh, adapt and allow people to participate um, 
remotely in uh, not only legislators, uh, elected officials, but also uh, interest groups and citizens. Uh, it's just a really amazing thing that it ever comes together, let alone that we find a way to pull it off each year. And on, on that technology note, uh, I hope that after this year, the legislature finds a way to, uh, even, you know, even if the pandemic is totally done, and heaven, we sure hope that it is totally done. But I, I really hope that the elected officials, the legislative leaders, uh, our government officials, find a way to continue to use the technologies we've been forced to use this session, because it has really done a lot for someone who doesn't live in Salt Lake City, can't get to the Capitol, but really does care about something and wants to weigh in. Uh, just what it's done for public participation in the overall committee process and legislative process has been really cool to see. So my hat's off to everybody who uh, on the technological side had to help make that happen uh, somewhat on short notice and uh, and then even with some runway time uh, to get ready for it. It's just really remarkable, not only that the entire process comes together, but to add the technology element to it. And uh, Utah is super accessible, not only now with the Zoom Zoom meetings that allow people to join and participate and testify in committee or to you know vo make their voice heard, uh, but also the fact that uh, for you know well over a decade now you've been able to log on and watch committee meetings and uh, track bills, and so as involved as anyone wants to be in the process. Uh, they can be, and it's just become more accessible this year. So my hat's off to everyone who helps make that happen because uh, I think it's important for us to be active participants in our communities and in our government at all levels. And uh, to see technology make that that much easier has been a really cool thing. So that's what's cool this week for me. And I, I topped that off with the state of Utah. I've worked in other states and they, they are not as prepared. I'll tell you, the state of Utah has got some great technology and great people running it. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcm.com. I also want to thank our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, our friends at Secuvant, as well as the Utah Attorney General's Office and the Utah Department of Public Safety. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe online.